What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod brought to you by Sideline Sports. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my fellow host, Salman Huck. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, how's it going, dude? It's going well, man. So on today's episode, we will be talking about the biggest point guard busts of the last 10 years from 2011 to 2021. We'll be going in order of draft position. So first overall goes first, then second overall, if there was a point guard taken then, and so on and so forth. We'll talk about what went wrong for these guys, uh, how their careers possibly could have been fixed, and a possible ideal team for each of these guys to have been drafted to instead. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump into our list and start with uh, a real doozy. And one guy that, uh, a player that might have been actually ranked number one if we were going to be going in that direction. So we'll start with a player taken first overall in the 2017 draft, and that is Markel Fultz out of Washington. He was drafted by the 76ers. So what went wrong for him? Honestly, it's kind of a mystery. Uh, it's really, really difficult to say what, what the issue was, but uh, a lot of people have different opinions on what went wrong with him. Um, I read this book. I forget the name of it now, but it was basically a um, kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the Sam Hinkie era in Philadelphia and the process and all that. And some people said he had a motorcycle accident and he had some kind of nerve damage in his uh, arm where he kind of forgot how to shoot. So if you remember, he couldn't take free throws. He had like a hitch in his free throws. Um, and there was some other folks that just said he had the yips. You know, we've seen that with some baseball players where guys couldn't throw to first base, like pitchers couldn't throw to first base. There was a catcher on the A's, I believe. I forget his name, but he uh, he couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher after <laughs> every pitch. So it was very weird. Uh, but, you know, the Sixers in general, they kind of have a track record of their early picks getting injured or something going wrong with them. You know, Embiid broke his foot, I think, twice. Uh, ben Simmons broke his foot. And then this kid, uh, Zaire Smith, I believe he had a sesame allergy that they didn't know about, and they almost killed him at the facility. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, a lot has gone wrong for Mar- Markel Fultz. But, yeah, what, how could he have been fixed? What, how could his career have gone in a different direction? This is a tough one for sure. I mean... The only thing you can really say is maybe not be drafted by the 76ers uh, and not go number one because obviously, you know, obviously the shoulder thing, nerve damage. Um, even when he got traded to the Magic, he tore his ACL. And I think he's torn it twi- two different times he's torn his ACL now with the Magic or some some other, you know, pretty long injury that he had after he tore mm-hmm. his ACL. So he's he's been a little injury prone, but I think, you know, the Sixers didn't do him any favors. They, you know, rushed him back a little bit. They're like the number one pick. They didn't really give him time to recover whatever this injury was. And then probably that developed into him, you know, getting some some of like the yips and things like that. So I think the Sixers just handled the situation very poorly. I would say, you know, maybe he gets drafted somewhere else and he doesn't have to live up to being the number one draft pick and maybe somewhere like the Suns, right? Maybe you could pair with some someone like Devin Booker and, you know, they bring in CP3 and so there's not as much pressure. And, you know, even if he does get this shoulder nerve damage thing going on, he can kind of just sit back and recover from that and really live up to his full potential. But it's really hard to say how would you feel, how would you fix Markel Fultz given no one knows what exactly went wrong with him. Exactly. And that's kind of the, the mystery. There was just so much weird 
weirdness around this draft pick. A right? lot of like, a lot of weirdness. A lot of weirdness. Especially, I mean, when the Sixers made it, they were like, okay, you know, everyone's like, oh, Fultz, he's going to be great, amazing, and then things started going off the rails with him. Like as soon as he was picked, so it's it's, it's a weird situation for sure. And it was a weird time in Philly too. You know, I believe it was Brian Colangelo was the GM at the time, and shortly, a few years after that, he. Uh, ended up resigning because he found out he had a burner account that he blamed his wife for having. It was all very strange. And I think one of the things with Fultz is that his mom was a, like a helicopter tiger mom, and she was super possessive of him and his time and protective of him. And people said that that had something to do with the mental issues he had in the game. Um, going into the draft, I mean, my concern about him was that he didn't take his team to the tournament. It wasn't like he was on you know some random small school he went to Washington you know big Pac-12 school and not even getting to the tournament was kind of a red flag for me I, I felt the same about Ben Simmons coming in which maybe we'll talk about him later but in general I thought you know if you are a generational player right which is what you're hoping for with the first overall pick maybe you should be good enough to at least get them to the tournament right you know, you would think so. John Morant yeah, did it so. with, yeah. yeah, John Morant did it with Murray State. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all kinds of players from much smaller schools. I'm not saying you have to go and win the whole thing, but to not be one of the best 68 teams in the in the uh, the the country is just it's weird to me. And that weird. that was a big a turnoff weird. at the time. So, yeah, I, it just um, it's unfortunate what happened to him, but. Uh, you know, it, 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 nothing, it didn't smell right from the beginning. I'll say that. <laughs> All right, for sure. Okay. So next up is a player taken fifth overall in the 2014 draft, and that is uh, Dante Exum was drafted by the Utah Jazz. So what went wrong for Dante Exum? Exum was injury, right? He, in, in, just injuries with him. He, I think he tore his ACL playing for Australia and, for the Australia national team his second year then he had a shoulder surgery like the next year then he had an ankle injury then partially tore his patella tendon and that was like his like four years with the Jazz and then he got traded to the Cavs and then he's not a great shooter I think his you know career field goal percentage is like 40.7 which is not great especially if you consider you know he's a point guard he's probably driving to the basket things like that and you know, by 2021, he was out of the league and he's playing in the Euro League right now. And I think he had a lot of potential and a lot of the skill sets people look for because he was this kind of big, lanky point guard and people thought he could put it all together. But I think, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard when you have this guy and he's, you know, see, looks super talented, but he's coming out of Australia. And so maybe the lack of competition makes it harder for him to adjust to the NBA. But at the end of the day, it was injuries with him and he just couldn't ever get healthy enough to live up to that potential. He still played for, I think, eight years in the NBA, but never played close to a full season. His his career high was his rookie year. He played 82 games. Um, and then his the, he missed a second year with, I believe, that ACL tear that you mentioned. I think the biggest issue with him, as, as you pointed out, is just injuries. I mean, some people call him the biggest bust in draft in, in jazz draft history, I think. That's kind of unfair. I think that's probably Enes Cantor, they who they thought was going to be a you know generational Euro big man. I forgot. And he just I forgot Cantor went number three overall to the Jazz. I was like, yeah, oh, and I... he didn't even yeah. Do you remember he went to I believe he went to Kentucky and he didn't get to play because of eligibility issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. And 
there's a lot of mystery around him, but maybe he'll come up in our in our big man bus uh, yeah. when we do that yeah, pod. Absolutely. But probably he probably will be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing is with Exa Man is he just had so much hype. People were comparing him to Kobe in the pre-draft workouts and things like that. Uh, he had the size and the measurables. I mean, he's six five. He's versatile. He can play a lot of positions, but injuries are just the one thing that you can't overcome, especially when they kind of compound on each other. And that's usually how it works, right? Some guys, they get one major injury and maybe it's their like biomechanics or something. Everything just goes wrong. Everything goes downhill from there. You tear an ACL, you tear an Achilles, you tear a hamstring, you know, you tear the other ACL. I'm thinking about like Boogie Cousins, for example, he just had one injury after another. Um, so I, I don't know if there is an ideal team for Dante Exum. Um, because even if he's a second-round pick, he's still going to get injured. If he's first overall, he's getting injured. So I, I don't think there's anything That's that fair. could have really been done for him. I mean, unless you have another opinion there. No, I, I agree with you. There's nothing really he could have done to avoid being injured and things like that. Maybe maybe he just doesn't go play for the Australian national team in 2017, his second uh, – or sorry, 2015, his second year in the league. And then maybe that changes his career trajectory. But – that's really it. So that's a little all. less, little less mileage on his body, not playing mm-hmm. for the national team. But you can't and fault a guy and, for and doing that's, that. And that's that's where he tore his ACL playing for the national team. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he could have done it on a playground. He could have been. He could have done it in practice. So, <laughs> you can't really true. fault a guy Absolutely for for playing true. for his national team. All right. So next up is a guy that was taken also fifth overall this time in the 2016 draft, and that is Chris Dunn out of Providence. So Chris Dunn was drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I think he is more a victim of circumstance and situation than anything. Um, He's definitely a bust for where he was drafted, but the fact that he's still in the NBA, you know, six years later is an achievement compared to some of these other guys. Uh, He was overdrafted based on, you know, some pre-draft hype. He also was another guy that kind of had the measurables and could play a number of different positions, but... He, the fact that he got drafted by the Timberwolves during the, the Tom Thibodeau era there where he notoriously hates young players, hates young guards, and he didn't get a chance to play much early on and then was shipped off to Chicago in exchange for, for Jimmy Butler, and then he had to play for a couple of years under Fred Hoiberg, who was completely overmatched as, as a coach. So I think maybe if this guy, and we can talk about an ideal team, but... I think if he is playing in a better situation, a more structured situation, a more uh, nurturing or developmental situation, then I think he does much better. So how could his career have, have gone different? I really like Dunn coming into the draft. I I believed all the hype. I was like, oh, yeah, man, he's going to be like Gary, the next Gary Payton. You know, he's got that defensive prowess. He's he's going to develop that offensive game. He's really just going to be a you know franchise cornerstone like Gary Payton was. And so, I mean, it was evident his, his defensive prowess is there. He's, that's the only reason he's still actually in the league because he's a really good defender. But I think, like you said, right, going to Minnesota and then getting shipped off to Chicago, really not a great place for uh, a young guard to develop and really hone his you know, point guard abilities. He's also a very poor shooter. And it's, it's surprising to me, and we're going to talk a lot about this, how poor so many of these point guards are at shooting the ball. And it's it's just crazy to me that NBA teams wouldn't just like put a guy like Chris Dunn and be like, all right, man, you know, 
you're going to be in the gym every day for like two hours a day with the shooting coach and, you know, fix your mechanics or fix whatever's going on and learn to, you know, properly stroke the ball. So that's I, what the I Spurs like... did with Kawhi Leonard. They, they exactly. rescued exactly. his career. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's shocking to me that not more time is given to these guys in terms of, you know, developing their shooting skills. And so I think, you know, with the proper coaching, like you said, he maybe develops a little bit better. I would say a team maybe like the Nuggets or the Warriors, you know, two teams that are really good at developing players where he doesn't have to really come in and be the face of the franchise or lead the team as a young guy. He can kind of develop a little bit more there and maybe he he's better than just the rotational piece and maybe he's more of a, you know, all-star type player. But that's that's really mm-hmm. where I see Chris Dunn where he could have improved was really getting, you know, that shooting uh coaching, coaching for a shooting and, you know, you know, and just getting more, you know, coaching in terms of developing as a point guard. That's that's where he Mm-hmm. really needed to get the focus and and he's not in he's not super injury prone yeah he's had a couple of injuries but yeah I, I think it's just a developmental thing with him yeah his the shooting is is a common theme that we'll see in this draft where it just doesn't translate at the nba level and he's a guy that's a career 29 percent shooter from three uh just under 46 percent from two so so nothing special there either i think he had his best season when he was on Chicago that that second year where he was able to flourish a little bit but it's just just things things never really clicked for him because of the the things we talked about with the situation and, and like you said if he does go uh somewhere else like the the Nuggets if he goes 7th to Denver where he's playing with Jokic instead of whoever he was playing with in Chicago or Minnesota then then uh, he, things could have gone differently but this was a tough draft man this was a you look at the top 10 draft. it is <laughs> there's you know, maybe a few years ago, we would have felt differently about Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram and, and of course Jalen Brown. So the top three, you'd be like, all right, great top three. And then it drops off pretty hard after that with, with Dragon Bender and Chris Dunn. So maybe it makes sense that he was fifth overall in a pretty bad draft. But in general, yeah, I, it's just, a, I think, just more situation than anything for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So... Uh, next up is a player that went seventh overall in the 2015 draft, and that is Emmanuel Moutier. So he actually played uh, his last year before going to the NBA in China for the Guangdong Southern Tigers. So he took the uh, Brandon Jennings route of wanting to p- make a little money before he played in the NBA, which looks like a good idea because his NBA career has not been very long. Uh, but he was drafted, again, seventh overall Um by the Denver Nuggets in 2015. So what went wrong with his career? Yeah, he had all the physical skill sets of an NBA point guard. You know, he was six foot three, 200 pounds, was pretty athletic, but never seemed to put it together in the NBA. He struggled to shoot the ball. His career average from the three-point line is 30%. His field goal is around 40%. In the modern NBA, you know, if you can't, if you can't shoot, then you're, you're not really going to make it, right? The, I mean, in this NBA... The, you know, the bigs are shooting better than 35% from the three-point line. And so Moutier is just under, you know, the bigs, the bigs that are shooting 35% and as a point guard. And that's going to be totally unacceptable. And he never develops anything whatsoever. He never shows any handles. He never shows any defense. He never shows any shooting abilities. And when you're in the league for and taken seventh overall and you you don't develop any of these things... It's kind of crazy that he doesn't develop, especially going to an organization like the Nuggets, where they're pretty good at developing young players. 
that just means you just lack the talent and you know the drive to become one of the best people players in the NBA. And I mean, he I think he had an okay career if he was just looked at as like a second round pick or something, a late first rounder. But being a number seven overall pick, you gotta give more than that. The the pressure definitely did not help, mm-hmm. and maybe this uh, pokes some holes in our uh, theory about Chris Dunn being better in Denver. But yeah, maybe maybe. <laughs> Uh, so ironically enough, he this was the same class uh, as Nikola Jokic. Uh, so he was drafted. Of course, Jokic was a second-round pick. But this is a draft where the Nuggets could have drafted Devin Booker, who went six picks later at uh, 13th overall. So imagine that duo. It's like a an upgraded version of Jamal Murray and uh, and Jokic. So that would have been nuts. you know he he was just he was a really raw prospect, and I think that that was his issue. Um, I think he grew up in the Congo, came to the U.S. when he was young, but he, you know, he still played college, um, high school basketball in the U.S. and then, of course, chose to go play in China. So maybe if he goes and plays a year at a good school, maybe he gets to tone, you know, hone up some of these skills. I don't know how what the long term effect could have been, but you know, he had some really big moments early on. He had a couple, you know, thirty point games um, in his career early on in his rookie year. He was. Uh, he was on the all rookie team, so he was obviously good. Uh, and then he had some even better better moments when he got traded to the Knicks. And I thought, I thought really that he would develop into a good player. But I think his his issue is that he can't shoot. He needs the ball in his hands to be an effective player, and he's not good enough to be the primary ball handler on a good team. And that that was exactly. his big issue. So. I thought, you know, looking at, at this era and looking at the, the other guys that were taken in this draft, I thought maybe if he ends up in a couple other places like maybe Boston or Portland or Houston where he's able to come off the bench and play behind, you know, somebody like James Harden or Dame Lillard and learn from those guys and, again, not have to deal with the pressure of having to carry a franchise, whether it's Denver or, or the Knicks. So. I thought that could have that could have helped. Absolutely, I I agree with you there. He just he just needed to go somewhere where he could come off the bench and develop a little more, and you know, focus on shooting and things like that. That's absolutely what he needed. Mm-hmm. And it's actually it's surprising that he's not in the NBA at this point. I, I really thought he could have had a, a longer career, but he just uh, I think he last played with the uh, Kings last year on like a hardship contract. He only played two games, so yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's crazy, but he's out of the league. Yep. All right. So next up is a guy that was drafted pretty recently, and he went uh, seventh overall, and that is uh, point guard Killian Hayes from France. He was drafted seventh overall again by the Detroit Pistons in the 2020 draft. And, you know, maybe it's too early. It's only been two years. But I think we have a good idea of what this guy's ceiling is, and I think he is just a good rotational player. I think the Pistons could read the tea leaves, they could read the signs, and that's why they drafted two guys basically that play his positions in the the ensuing drafts in um, Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham. So he's been playing a little bit more because Cade Cunningham's been hurt this year, but I think in general he's not a starting NBA player, not on a good team. I'll say that. He's not a star player on a, for sure. And I think, you know, he he actually had and he, he had the misfortune of being drafted by a Detroit team that was kind of actively trying to lose. 
And that's never a good thing for your development because you, you pick up bad habits, you get you don't you don't get to play perhaps as much as you should because they're trying to tank a little bit. So, you know, they, they just don't seem to put you on the right path to development when you're trying to lose actively. We've seen it happen with this with Philadelphia with numerous guys and a couple guys or a guy that's gonna we're gonna talk about later in this in this pod, but how could things have gone differently for Killian Hayes? Hayes was pretty talented coming in. You know, people are like, oh, he might be the number two point guard behind LaMelo Ball, things like that. So the Pistons taking him was probably based on hype, but definitely a bad landing spot for him. They absolutely did nothing to develop him. And basically two years after drafting him, he's out of the rotation. They took Kate Cunningham and, you know, Ivy, like you said. But it's it's tri- I think it's a bit tricky with guys coming out of Europe. There may be certain expectations that, they're used to playing pro ball, you know, overseas, so that they should be more NBA ready. But, you know, Hayes, when he was drafted, was only 19. And he didn't play too, like, he played a few years in in, in, Euro, in the EuroLeague in France and things like that. And so maybe the expectation was for him that, oh, you're more NBA ready. And when he came in, he looked pretty raw. I think he could become like a Sean Livingston type player if he just got to a team where he could just be a rotational guy like the Spurs or the Knicks, where he's not, he's just not, he's just looked at, okay, he's a rotational piece, we'll we'll play him, we'll develop him, give him some time to learn the NBA game, things like that, but the Pistons completely were just two years in, like, we're not even going to give him a run anymore, like, it, it, that's the craziest part, that they just decided in two years he's a bust and we're not going to play him. I, I, he, I mean, he's, he's I playing he's, a lot, he's playing a lot this year because Cade Cunningham's been hurt, but I, I think uh, right, right, right. it's they, not I mean, going anywhere. Even then anywhere, he's playing basically. like 15 to 18 minutes a game still, right? With with Cade Cunningham being hurt, they, they'd rather play mm-hmm. uh, Jaden Ivey over him. So that's the problem with Hayes. He's not getting that run to really develop, and I think a team like the Spurs would, would do a better job of at least giving him some run and developing him a little bit more. The Spurs are like the default for any any like <laughs> Euro yeah. guy. You're just yeah. like, yeah, just send him to San Antonio. He'll be fine. Send yeah, you know. send him to Pop. Pop will take care of him. Yeah, exactly, right? They'll, they'll figure it out. He has no pressure on him. Uh, I mean, it's not like there's a ton of pressure up in Detroit. But, you know, looking at this 2020 draft, um, I think Bill Simmons points this out all the time, that this was like the COVID draft, right? Mm-hmm. You couldn't work guys out. You couldn't do face-to-face interviews. Everything went over Zoom. Uh, and he points out that maybe teams – in the top five, he, he talks about Wiseman all the time and how they maybe should have drafted uh, Tyrese Halliburton if they had actually brought him in for a workout. But if you look at it, like, the top ten is is pretty brutal. It's, There's some, it's some good it's players, some, some rotational guys. You're like, okay, Okongwu, all right, he's decent. Okoro, maybe he's a good piece on a, on a contending, uh, possibly contending Cavs team. But I mm-hmm. think there's just a lot of misses, and I think – some of the best players in this draft are in the second half of it, the top, the bottom 15, you know, so other than of like course, Anthony Edwards. Yeah. yeah. Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey. Um, I believe Desmond Bain was in this draft. He was the 30th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We already did a redraft of this. And I think a lot of the guys that we talked about were in, you know, the back half of this draft or at least the back half of the first round. Um, so yeah, I think we gave Wiseman, we still redrafted Wiseman, but um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we'd still do <laughs> this. Is before this season, so you know, if you if you did yeah, that, exactly. if we do the redraft again. Wiseman probably doesn't even make the lottery after this season. Probably not, man. I, I don't think he would. Uh, so I think maybe Hayes was just a victim of that, where he just 
uh, teams banked more on the tape uh, of him against these guys, these, these Euro guys. They didn't get a chance to bring him in for a workout, a real interview, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I think the, the Spurs, the defaults, and the Euro guys there, they'll be fine. But I think in general, yeah, it's just I think we've seen his ceiling, and that's just that's a rotational guy, which is not yeah. bad. You know, I think um, if you're drafting in the top 10, you're probably hoping for an all-star at least, but at least he is a, you know, viable NBA player at this point. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Euro guys, so next up, we have a guy that was drafted eighth overall in 2017, and that is uh, Frank Nilakina, a.k.a. Frankie Smokes, was drafted uh, by the New York Knicks. So what went wrong with Frank Nilakina? First of all, really weird uh, nickname, Frankie Smokes. Uh, I don't know why people started calling him Frankie Smokes, but that's that's what he ended up being called. You know, because N- Nilakina sounds like I, nicotine. I, I get it. I get it. It's just weird. People <laughs> are just like, we're going to call him Frankie Smokes now. It's it's um, a New York thing. I, th- I really yeah. like it. It's one of my favorite NBA nicknames. It it has <laughs> makes no sense. I mean, it makes it, sense. It, he doesn't. He definitely doesn't deserve a nickname. He's not good enough. Exactly. He doesn't deserve a nickname. Yeah. Exactly. But it's cool. Frank Frankie smokes. I like it. It's a very Frankie New smokes. York thing. Like you think of it like the definitely. Sopranos. You I, know, I can like see one that. of Tony Sopranos henchmen would be like, oh yeah, that's Frankie <laughs> smokes. You know, that's Tony Tony Tuna or whatever. You know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. In terms of what wrong, what went wrong with him? He had the size and the length to become a good point guard in the NBA. He was six four, two hundred pounds. Howard, I'm not sure why he was even considered a lottery pick given if you look at what he did in his two years in france playing pro ball he did nothing like he played i think roughly more no more than 15 to 18 minutes a game in france and he was just there for two years and i i think sometimes these international international players get too overhyped and this was the case here with him he never developed a jumper he never had a sense for playmaking let alone you know basic dribble moves like sometimes it was like this guy can't even dribble a ball what's he doing in the nba I think he was also expected to be come out to be like a great defender, but I think he's an average to below average defender. And so it, that's the only reason he probably didn't flame out of the NBA sooner because he could play some defense. And then on top of that, it doesn't help that he was picked by Phil Jackson on the Knicks. And at this point of his in his career, Phil Jackson couldn't develop anybody if he tried. And the Knicks were just awful at that time under Phil Jackson's leadership. So a lot of things went wrong here. Overhype, just not the right you know coaching staff for him and and again mm-hmm. he just didn't develop as people thought he would and in general this is kind of a brutal point guard draft if you look at 100%. it i mean the top is markel fultz and lonzo ball so we already talked about fultz we might talk about lonzo a little bit later but this i mean if you look at some of the other picks it, it's it's crazy that they could have gotten donovan mitchell and this is the guy that supposedly they were willing to trade everything for you know later or earlier this year but besides that not not much else going on you know maybe they get jared allen maybe they get og ananobi there's some other guys but if they were looking for a point guard it's it's pretty brutal maybe Derek white <laughs> is another good point guard in this draft but maybe yeah you know he's he's nothing special either he's, he's a decent rotational guy but uh it's just you know the it's just the knicks man the knicks usually overthink these things they instead of going for the guy that kind of profiles similar to to Frankie Smokes and Donovan Mitchell who was supposed to come into this league as like a defensive specialist right that was his calling card coming into the NBA that that hasn't been the case he's been much better than that but 
it's just ironic that they wanted the defensive guy and they went with Nilakina. Uh, and I think his primary issue is, like a lot of these guys, he just couldn't shoot. He's a career uh, 33% shooter from three. And like you said, he was supposed to be this elite defensive player, and he's never been that. He's just he's very average defensively. And I know we talked about this a lot, but the Spurs <laughs> would have been a good pick for him if he went... If, you know, twenty yeah. ninth. Coming out of he's coming out of France. The Spurs should take him. That's it. Exactly. If he went twenty ninth overall to the um, uh, to the Spurs, or if he goes somewhere like the Jazz, where again they they're better at developing guys and letting guys play, and you know playing under the bright lights in Madison Square Garden again for Phil Jackson, who did not have the best track record at this time of of drafting guys or signing guys. Um, yeah, it just. If he goes somewhere without the pressure, maybe he develops. But also, he just can't shoot. And that's that, that's just going to limit how effective of a player you can be. It's really as simple as that. Right. And I think Donovan Mitchell wasn't even on the Knicks' radar. I think the debate was Frank, Frank Nilakina, obviously butchered his name there, and then Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, I think that was the debate for the Knicks. They were like, do we go with him or do we go with Dennis Smith Jr.? And that's really the two guys they were considering. I don't even think Donovan Mitchell was ever brought up as a as a target for the Knicks in this draft, and that's the crazy part. They didn't. I don't even think they scouted Donovan Mitchell. If I if I remember it correctly, they were just too lo- too locked in on point guards. Mm-hmm. They would have been better off taking like Malik Monk. At least he can shoot. Yeah, yeah. At least he can shoot. You know? Exactly. He's having a little renaissance these days with uh, with the Kings. Uh, he is. But, I'm I mean, I'm 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 shocked at how well he's playing with the Kings right now. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Dennis Smith Jr. Um, he is our next name here. Uh, so he's a guy that was drafted ninth overall. So just actually the next pick after uh, Frankie Smokes. That's probably why people call him Frankie Smokes. because It's so hard to say his last, last name. name. Yeah, so hard to say it. <laughs> so he went uh, ninth overall uh, out of NC State to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, you know, he had a couple, he had a solid rookie season on a on a bad Mavs team. Um, so that's that's usually... I don't want to say it's it's really not an indicator of anything to be honest, but it's just like okay, at least this guy can play. That that's mm-hmm. usually the general takeaway, right? Is even if the team is bad, even if they win, you know, in this case, I think they won twenty five games or something. Um, so you're like, okay, at least this guy can play basketball. You know, he averaged, I think it was, uh, he averaged fifteen four and five. So you're like, okay, that that's not bad. Uh, but then he's involved in the Kristaps Porzingis trade. Things go a little sideways with his career, and of course, his his big problem, similar again to a lot of guys, is that he just couldn't shoot. He was super athletic; he could jump out the gym, but just couldn't shoot. Uh, not a good three point shooter, just around thirty one percent. Not a great shooter in general. He's about forty four percent from two. So, aside from his, I think you would call elite athleticism, there's not not much else he does well. And I think that's his issue. I think at, at the very least his ceiling, which we're seeing now, is that just he's a rotational guy. And maybe he's putting up you know big numbers on a bad team perhaps, but just not, uh, not worthy of this selection. So how could things have gone differently for Dennis Smith Jr.? I think Dennis Smith Jr., again, like you said, right? Not a guy who could shoot the ball particularly well. Uh, just an average or below average point guard, really. And so I, I, I really see him as a poor man's Russell Westbrook, right? He can jump out of the gym and he's quick and athletic, and but he can't 
do he can't run the offense like Russell Westbrook could, and he can't you know he can't even shoot the ball like Russell Westbrook could, and that's like a concern in the NBA. Like Russell Westbrook is not a great shooter by any means, and if you're worse than him, yikes, that that's bad. So it's surprising, right? That again he doesn't get a shooting coach from the Mavs, and the Mavs don't do a lot to develop him. But there are also, you know, rumors about him having a pretty shitty attitude, a little bit of a diva type of player when he didn't really do anything to really earn earn, earn that kind of, you know, level of attitude that he came into the NBA with. So maybe the Mavs are just like, hey, you know, we're probably going to move on from this guy. We probably don't want him sticking around and we're not going to take the time to develop him. But I, I do see him maybe being useful to a team like the Bucks, where he could play off ball with Giannis and maybe make more backdoor cuts and things like that and use his athleticism to rebound and things like that where he's not put in a situation where he's the point guard, mm-hmm. he's running the offense, things like that. He's he's probably a better player when he's off ball and he's doing that in Charlotte a bit. I think he, right now he's on the Hornets and he's he's been doing that with like LaMelo and things like that. So he's a decent rotational guy, but again, that's not enough to uh, take there at number nine overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's putting up the best averages uh, of the last three years. He's averaging mm-hmm. uh, nine three and almost six assists a game. So, not yeah, bad. Not bad. Uh, and that makes sense, right? He's not if he goes to the Bucks or some other team like that. He's not initiating the offense. He's kind of he's finishing. He's he's making these cuts. He's playing defense because he has the size uh, to guard. You know, most point guards, most shooting guards, things like that. So. It just—I I didn't know about his attitude issues, but makes sense <laughs> that 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 yeah, would I, kind of hurt his uh, um, his long-term career prospects for sure. Yeah, I, I think he was—it was just like I don't know if it's true or not, but there were just rumors that he was like this diva type player, and he 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 thought he was like this all-class NBA guy. I mean, most of these guys think that, but it was just like he was just like super arrogant, something like that. That was that was what was said about Dennis it, Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably depends on the source. Like, if if the Mavericks yeah. are trying to tarnish his name after <laughs> after trading him after what, like he played a hundred games for them or whatever, then they're like, oh yeah, he he had a bad attitude. That's why we traded him. Yeah, they're like, oh, he, uh, he was super arrogant. You couldn't get along with those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So next up is a guy that went tenth overall in 2014, and that is Alfred Payton out of Louisiana. Uh, so Alfred Payton was drafted by the Orlando Magic. So. What went wrong with his career? Man, I I really liked Alfred Payton coming into this draft. I thought he was going to be one of the better point guards of this draft, but that never happened. And a lot of that is uh, he didn't develop an offensive game. He he just never developed a jump shot. He just never could really get to the basket pretty quick. I mean, he's basically the Tony Allen of point guards when it came to the offensive side of the ball. And then he didn't have quite the defensive pedigree that Tony Allen had. So you can just imagine what kind of player he he became. And so, you know, across the board, he was just average. Maybe he should have gone late first, early second round. He's a nice rotational guy, but uh, again, you want something more than that from your top 10 pick. You want him to be, at a minimum, uh, you know, borderline superstar maybe and someone who could be, you know, a reliable second or third offensive option or a great defender, things like that. And Alfred Payton was none of those things. And he just never developed into that, and a part of that, a lot of that, has to do with his inability to shoot the ball. So I actually wanted to talk about this. So you you mentioned that you know with a top ten pick you expect a superstar. So I, I tried to. I said borderline. Some, borderline. Borderline. Borderline is fine. I, I'm just you know I'm trying to 
put these guys into categories of expectations, right? So listen to me, work with me here. See, see, let me know what you think. So if you're picking first through fifth, you're like, okay, we expect at the very least an all NBA guy. Yes. Whether that's first, second, third team. Agree. Okay. Yeah, agree. Yep. If you're picking six to 10, you're thinking, okay, this guy may not be all NBA. He doesn't have to be one of the best 15 players in the NBA at some point during his career, but he should be an all-star. Yep. Maybe I agree. a I agree with that. Yeah. multiple time all-star is, is preferred, of course. Uh, and then I'm thinking 11 to 20. So end of the lottery. And then right after lottery, you're thinking, okay, this guy should at least be a viable starter for us. Right. Agreed. Yep. Long term. And then 21 to 30, so still in the first round, you're thinking this guy should at least be a rotation guy. So anywhere from, you know, I don't know, 10 to 25 minutes a game. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, maybe closer to like a sixth man type player. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a, a, a starter at this point, even if he's yep. sixth, seventh, yep. eighth guy off the bench, Agreed. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, second round and beyond, you're looking at prospects, uh, developmental I, guys. Yeah. Sixth year senior, yeah, or kind of. I mean, like low, a, low risk, high, low risk, high reward. Like guys, you think that you know were uh, just kind of overlooked and people didn't pay attention to him, and he, you know, like Gilbert Arenas type players, or high risk, high reward. You know, yep. a, a guy like Gilbert Arenas again, who had some. I think he had <laughs> character issues, or guys that yes. maybe have like yeah, a, a, a drug arrest or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe a nonviolent uh, criminal history, or mm-hmm. a guy with like a weird characteristic, or. Yep. You're just a taking a risk, that, basically. Yeah, or a guy that you're like, this guy played seven years in college, and he's, you know, we don't want to <laughs> pick him in the first round because we don't want to give him a guaranteed contract. But maybe there's something there. Maybe he's mature enough. Whatever it is. So, uh, does does that vibe with you? Do you agree with yeah, this? Yeah, these? I agree with that. Okay. I agree with that. That that's why I said like, you know, borderline superstars like multiple all stars type of the player for me. He's yeah, not, he's you're, not, you're he's hoping not in the, that he's he'll... not the elite guy, but he's he's there. He's there. He's uh. He's above average starter, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think he's not an above average starter. He's a he's a starter. He's a starter on some decent teams, or at least he's a rotational guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think his his main crime was just being overdrafted a bit. So yes. if you're going top ten, uh, he ended up basically being traded for the twelfth pick, Dario Saric, and a couple other things. So um, he he was just I guess if you want to be technical about it, he was the twelfth overall pick. But either way. <laughs> Uh, not much going on in this draft after that if you are looking for point guards. Um, and I think in general, he's just another guy that just isn't a reliable shooter, but he is second in this draft class in assists. I was very surprised at that. Um, Nikola Jokic has about 3,500, and Alfred Payton has about 2,900 assists. And then it, it drops off pretty pretty uh, hard after that. Marcus Smart, 25 Spencer Dinwiddie, 2000. So maybe they draft Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, who went uh, 38th, and they're happier about that. But in general, I just think he was overdrafted. But he's a solid backup point guard. Yep. You know, he's not like Dennis Smith, where you can't run the offense through him. Like, he can kind of. If I, I, I envision him having like an Ish Smith type career, where he exactly. plays for yeah. 20 years for 15 teams. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he, um, he's on that path right now, isn't he? Yeah, basically, man. I mean, he's bounced around quite a bit, um, and I see a little bit more of that, but he's played on, let's see, Orlando, Phoenix, uh, New Orleans, 
the Knicks, and now he's back on Phoenix. So yeah, not, not too many, but he's still only 27. So yeah, he he's, plays he's got for 10 another... more years to bounce around. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, so he's not. You're not going anywhere if he's your starter, but he could be a, a good backup on uh, on a, a good team. Um, agree, agree. And I think maybe Boston at 17, if they pick him, I think they moved on from Rondo. Uh, during this year, they sent him packing to Dallas because he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. But he could have come in, played behind Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley. Marcus Smart actually went in this draft as well. Uh, so, yeah, maybe if he ends up somewhere like that, again, same idea where he doesn't have to start, then things go well. So, yeah. I can absolutely see that. And I think that was one of the things about Alfred Payton. People were like, oh, he could be like kind of the next Rondo, right? Rondo didn't really have a three-point shot, but you know the NBA is, was heading towards three-point shooting and three-point shooting becoming a very important part of that game. And it's it's crazy to me that teams didn't think about that when drafting certain players. Yeah, not not in this era, not right yeah. when kind of the three-point revolution was happening. And even mm-hmm. Rondo ended up being what he shot like forty-five percent from three yeah, <laughs> in he, the bubble during that, yeah, that, that, he, I mean, that bubble he, title. He, yeah, he, he developed it at some point. Yep, he sure did. Um, all right. So next up is another guy that went 10th overall. Uh, this is all the way back in 2011, and that is Jimmer Ferdette out of BYU, who was selected by the Sacramento Kings. So what went wrong with him? Too small, too slow. Uh, I really, really loved this kid in college. Um, he was I thought he was going to be at least like a lights-out shooter in the NBA. I thought that that would be the one skill that could translate. But it just never panned out. Um, you know, I think it, it was bad that it hurt him. It hurt him that he was hurted. <laughs> uh, I think it hurt him that he was drafted by the Kings, you know, during their, I don't know if this was the bottom for them, but they were just close to the bottom consistently. Mm-hmm. And he was just never athletic enough to play point guard in the NBA. And he wasn't big enough to do anything else in the NBA. So you think about some of the other like one-trick pony type guys, um, like names that come to mind were like Jason Capono or Steve Novak, um, guys that could stand in the corner and shoot, but they were 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", so they could do some other things, right? They, they're a big body. They could rebound. But Jimmer is was listed at 6'3", but I don't know if he was even that big. Uh, yeah, I and think he was just, listed like 6 feet, right? It, it definitely looks like it, you know. And I think um, he just, it's hard to be a rotation guy when you're such a liability on defense. Like you're not good enough of a shooter to justify being that huge liability on, on defense. So, how could things have been fixed for this guy? How could Jimmer's uh, career have gone differently? Right. Like you said, Jimmer could shoot lights out, but he really needed to develop the rest of his game in the NBA. He didn't get a chance to do that. I think a lot of pressure was put on him to be the point guard of the of the future for the Kings. And that really is not what his role should have been. He should have been treated more like a shooting guard, you know, guy some someone like a JJ Redick or a Sasha Bujacic, who, you know, had decent success in the NBA and they weren't the most athletic guys. They didn't play the best defense, but they could shoot the ball and that was the role given to them. So I think Jimmer, if he's kind of treated like that, where, you know, not being drafted based on what he did in college and he was like, you know, shooting from like 45 feet and nailing them and things like that and just being overhyped he could have probably done better where he was just treated as more of a shooting guard and just you know 
you come in, you give us, you know, 10 to 12 minutes and really your role is going to be to shoot the ball. And we know you're going to be a defensive liability, but if you can generate enough offense for us, we can, we can live with that. And so I thought maybe if he went somewhere like the Thunder where, you know, he provides them some solid bench shooting behind, you know, Russ and KD and things like that. And maybe he doesn't piss, piss KD and Russ off like Reggie Jackson did, who was in this draft. But he, he, I think he could have had a decent career. I mean, we're not talking all-star or anything like that. He was clearly overdrafted at 10. But he could have had a decent career. And maybe maybe like a Doug McDermott who's still around in the NBA and he can shoot the ball decently well. And maybe, and maybe best case scenario, he's like a J.J. Redick type who's a lights-out shooter. J.J. had a very long, very successful career, I think, because he, he learned to play his role. Exactly. He was a, a great shooter, but I think he also played really hard on defense, and I think he made he kind of carved out a lane for himself. Um, and I'm sure it kills Kings fans to this day, but Clay Thompson went uh, 11th. <laughs> the next, the next pick. <laughs> Literally the next, the pick. next pick. You know, and there's a. I was then... so I was so happy when the Kings took Jimmer because I was worried the Warriors were thinking Jimmer too if Clay was gone. That's that's what I remember thinking. I was like, oh, I know the Warriors are looking for a shooting guard, and they they might be like, oh, maybe we should take Jimmer, and we can have Steph and Jimmer together on the same team. And I was like, God, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope someone takes Jimmer before before our pick. I think it was Jerry West that that really wanted Clay. So yes, yeah, got, I, yeah, you're lucky. right, you're right. Jerry West was there to guide us, right? Thank God for that. But now, I mean, Jimmer. I think maybe now he could play in the NBA a little bit. Maybe I think so. More he, could, he could be a guy. Yeah, he could be a guy that gives you like 10 minutes a game and you get him a couple of shots in throughout the game. But yeah, his defense was horrendous and he didn't really try. So, I mean, but yeah, he could maybe play in today's NBA a little bit more. I think he's content playing in China, scoring like 60 <laughs> points a game and doing his thing there. So it's yeah. like big fish, small pond. He'd just rather just hang out over there. I, I, you can't blame him for that. And he's getting paid. He's getting paid out there. Yeah, he's probably making more out there than he would here on like a minimum contract. So Absolutely. good for him. I think he still comes and plays like summer league. Sometimes he probably just wants to hoop and just do his thing. But yep, um, yeah, yeah. you know. So uh, the last name on our list is a guy that was drafted 11th overall, um, and that is Michael Carter Williams out of Syracuse. So he was drafted in 2013 by the Philadelphia 76ers. So what went wrong with Michael Carter Williams? This one is very interesting because Michael Carter Williams won Rookie of the Year in 2013, but after that, his career took a nosedive. His biggest problem was his inability to shoot, and I think some of that might have come from he had a shoulder surgery after his rookie year, and he just didn't quite look the same after that. And then he got traded to the Bucks in 2015, and he just looked he he looked really bad on the Bucks, and then he tore his labrum in his left hip. After, after that, he just definitely lost all his athleticism and he just didn't look like the same player. So when you lost, lose your athleticism and then you can't shoot, that's a bad combination in the NBA, if especially uh, you know 75% of your game was predicated on you being athletic. And that's, that's the problem here with Michael Carter-Williams. Uh, and honestly, it was a shock to me that we're calling him a bust, but after you know how well he played his first two years in the league and that's that's the shocking part is you just don't know what kind of injuries and what kind of things mess a player up and that's that's exactly what happened with Michael Carter Williams he he hurt himself a bit and he lost his athleticism and he, and he never developed that shooting stroke and and it didn't help that the Bucks were a pretty bad team at at that point in time and just didn't mm -hmm. really develop him and speaking of bad teams I mean the Sixers were awful oh yeah yeah this Sixers was were awful this was peak uh, peak process times, yes. peak processing peak process. days. 
And but the thing is, I I don't think it was that surprising. I think they drafted him, and I think they quickly realized that this kid is super limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's incredibly athletic, but he could never shoot. And again, I mean, he did have you know the misfortune of being picked by the Sixers during that time. I think they they won 19 games his rookie year, 18 games his second year, which you, you mean he was traded midway through his second year and then the following year they won 10 years that was the the first year we actually moved to philadelphia in 2015 (laughs) and it was the worst basketball team i had ever seen in my life i had seen some bad ones as a longtime warriors fan but watching this team every day because they were on cable and you know they're the home team so you're just automatically watching them on nbc sports or whatever and it was so bad torture yourself like that man but you know what? It was it was kind of fun in a way, right? It was uh, you got to know some of these guys that ended up there being being competent NBA players, right? Like Robert Covington was on that team, T.J. McConnell, uh, yeah. Ish Smith, I think was on that team as well. So yeah. it was kind of fun to watch that that them develop, and it helped me like buy low as a not a Sixers fan, but a Sixers supporter because you know they're, <laughs> they're like, the yeah, home yeah, team. Look, I'm I'm supporting you guys. I'm supporting you guys. <laughs> I moved here, and you guys suck, but I'm still supporting you. So that that year, actually, we went to my brother came down. We went to a Sixers Spurs game, and that was Boban's debut in the NBA. <laughs> and I think they were down at one point by fifty points to the Spurs. And this was Spurs. They they sat. Uh, my brother was super upset about this, but they sat Tim Duncan, Manu, and Tony Parker. None of them played. Of course, and of course. <laughs> And they're still beating, blowing out the Sixers by 50 points. And then they bring on this big-ass ogre-looking dude in Boban, and we're just, everyone just falls in love. And we literally, we started a Boban chant in the crowd, and the whole crowd got into it. Uh, I remember a, a guy two rows down or two, two, two seats away from me and a couple rows down fell asleep during the game because it was yeah. that dull. It's that dull. It's like I paid $50 to take a nap. It was definitely not fifty bucks because we were in the second deck and they were. Oh, okay, you were in the nosebleeds. Like, all right, all right, you probably paid like probably, five bucks. No, man, it wasn't even nosebleeds. It was like five rows up from the from the second deck, so oh, it was okay. pretty That's good seats, terrible. right? Decent seats, yeah, decent. You know, those will run you a couple hundred bucks for the Warriors, but I think we paid eight dollars nowadays. For them. nowadays, back in yeah, back nowadays, in the day, back in the day, you could buy ten dollar nosebleeds for Oracle. I remember doing that. Oh, of course, I did yeah. many times. I, I went, I went to, I went to the game where. They had traded. They had just made the trade for Baron Davis, and it was debut. And we bought like ten dollar nosebleed tickets, and it was an amazing game. That's just like a different era. That was yeah. uh, peak Oracle, just shenanigans. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we digress. We digress. Yes. Uh, back to MCW, and yeah, he was just uh, he was really a victim, I think, of the NBA changing so much and basically moving away from point guards that can't shoot. If you're, it doesn't matter how, uh, unless you're a Ben Simmons type where you're you're big enough to post guys up and do things like that, and have different types of different aspects to your game, then you just you can't succeed long term. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. the Sixers, I think, saw that, and I think that's why they let him play so much. And a lot of people say that they inflated his numbers by just letting him play and doing whatever he wants in order to trade him. So. Weird, I don't know how true that is. The thing to do is like draft a guy, inflate his numbers, and try to trade him later. Well, I mean, I'm sure they were hoping for a better pick than 11th. Yeah. You know, and they they maybe just picked him, so 
and then saw his limitations and then moved him. But maybe that's just revisionist history and the Sixers trying to make themselves look better for making a, a bad pick. But um, maybe, you know, if he ends up on a team like Indiana, like closer to the end of the first round, not a huge drop. It's not like he went first overall and then he's going to end. Like he's going from 11th to like the mid 20s. Um, he could have helped them in those Heedle series, you know, as that yep. backup point guard, backup shooting guard to, to Lance or uh, uh, George Hill and help them defensively because he's a big point guard. You yeah, know, he's, yeah, he definitely. Yeah, he doesn't definitely doesn't look like a point guard. He's he's a six five. I mean, he's, he's a little skinny, uh, under two hundred pounds. But I think he could have he could have done a good job on on a team like that, um, where again he's more of a rotational guy and not the guy that you're expecting to run your offense. Yep, I see that. So that is our list of the top point guard busts from 2011 to 2021. So now we will go into our dishonorable mentions list. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do some quick fire, uh, just commentary on some of these guys. Uh, same idea. We'll go in terms of draft position. So one guy that I, two guys actually I added here kind of uh, last minute, um, so the first is Ben Simmons. Went first overall to the Sixers in 2017. I know he's not quite a bust, but he might be in a few years. He's he's definitely you know? heading in that direction. If 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 he keeps up his current trajectory, he's definitely on this list in like four or five years. Yeah, and I mean it, it's crazy how quickly his career trajectory changed. He looked like he was on the way to being a perennial All NBA guy, perennial. Mm-hmm. All defense guy. Um, maybe if he'll just he gets his head right, um, he'll fix his his career trajectory. So uh, maybe next guy is Lonzo Ball. He went uh, second overall to the Lakers in 2018, uh, and I think his big thing is just injuries. And yeah, he can't stay healthy. I mean, he looked pretty decent for the Bulls last year before he got hurt, and you're like, oh man, this is like kind of the Lonzo you expected with the number two pick. And then he gets mm-hmm. hurt. And you're like, okay, well, we're going to have to wait another year to see Lonzo come back. And it was initially like, there's an injury that was supposed to only keep him out like two months. And it's like, now it's been like a year and he still hasn't played. So, it, and they, they said like, he can't even walk up the stairs, whatever this injury is. Like, he's still having trouble yeah. climbing stairs. Like, that's crazy. So, he's going to be out for a while. And that's, that's he's still young. Gonna, he's, yeah, he's still young. 25. That's a rough injury, whatever he has. Yeah, I'm starting to get like uh, Brandon Roy vibes from him. Mm-hmm. Where, but yeah. um, he's never as good as Brandon Roy. But um, he's he's never played a full full season in his career, yeah. his yeah. his short career so far. But yeah, he's never played a full season, so it's it's not looking good for him. It's not looking um, good. All right, next is uh, another guy on the Bulls. Uh, Kobe White went seventh overall in 2019. Uh, why did why is he on your dishonorable mentions list? He started off hot at his rookie year, and then the Bulls, for whatever reason, decided he just wasn't the guy. He's not a great shooter or defender. He also had shoulder surgery recently, and so he's been relegated to the bench, and I don't think he's been getting much run. He's been getting less than, like, 15 minutes a game with the Bulls right now uh, when he's been healthy. But he's just, yeah, he just the guy just fell out of rotation, and I think he's, he's at best, a rotational player, and he was taken seventh overall. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next is Brandon Knight, who went eighth overall in 2011 to the Pistons. He had a, a decent career, bounced around a bit, played I think good, you know, five six years in in the league. Uh, best known for being posterized by DeAndre Jordan 
in that famous <laughs> the famous clip where uh <laughs> DJ just dunks all over him and makes that hilarious face. So Yeah, and if that's yeah, your that's... what you're most famous for, then you probably heard a bust. <laughs> Uh, next is uh, Trey Burke, went ninth overall in 2013 to the Utah Jazz. Why is he on your list? Just that undersized guy, and he wasn't really strong enough to play in the NBA, but he had a decent career, just not some not a career of a you know top 10 pick. He, he's a rotational guy who could score in bunches here and there, but not a guy who could by any means carry your team. Yeah, he's uh, most known for being in Allen Iverson lookalike. Exactly, yes. The- Yes. I think he was on the Knicks. He had the braids and the the headband, and yeah, the yeah, I remember he, he that. looked like mini he AI. Like, yeah, I remember. I that. always, I also always get him mixed up with Alec Burks for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that same last name almost. <laughs> almost right. Uh, next is Kendall Marshall. Uh, went 13th overall in 2012 to the Suns. Um, maybe he should have been on our our list, uh, but I think you know going 13th maybe helped him out. Um, help him just be on the dishonorable mention list, not the actual list. Uh, he just had a, he could have had a good career, but he just, injuries. Yep. Injuries piled injuries. up. And simple yep. as that. And I think the uh, Suns traded him after one year, so. Yeah, that's never a good sign. Unless you're getting like a superstar in return, like Minnesota did with uh, uh, Chris Dunn for Jimmy Butler, I think it's just not, not a good sign for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Next is Kira Lewis, went 13th overall in 2020 to the Pelicans. Uh, why is he on your list? It's still a bit early to maybe put him in, up there in the top 10. Obviously, he's a late lottery guy, but he he just he's showing flashes, but he's just not getting the the minutes, and he's he, he's probably just that best-case scenario rotational guy. But again, he was taken in the lottery, so definitely have to at least mention him here. Yeah, and now we're we're getting outside the lottery here, and that is um, Wade Baldwin, who went 17th overall in 2016 to the Grizzlies. Just never panned out, never good enough, and, and that's fine. But he was drafted just outside the lottery, so maybe your expectations change a bit. Yep. Uh, okay. Next is Shane Larkin, who went 18th overall in 2013 to the Mavericks. So what's up with him? Again, just a really bad player, undersized. I mean, he couldn't even stick around as a as a rotational guy in the NBA. I think he maybe lasted four or five years at best, and he was just out of the NBA again. I mean, he would have been on this list if he was drafted higher, but again, just have to mention him. Yeah, he's outside the lottery, but definitely when you're drafting that, at least in the first round, you're looking for at least a guy who could be a starter for you there. Okay, and 18th overall was Tyler Ennis in 2014, who went to the Suns. I think just same idea as, as Shane Larkin. Also had some injuries that, that didn't help. Um, and then uh, last, and definitely not least, but maybe least, is Jerrion Grant, uh, who went 19th overall in 2015 to the Knicks. So what happened with him? Yeah, he was just an average guy. He you know wasn't a great point guard. He wasn't a really great at anything he was you know just average and i guess he was taken late enough that we couldn't really say he's a big bust and just a guy we mentioned here on the list and so yeah that's that's where he's at he's he's probably the last guy here in terms of point guards where he was just okay he's a rotational guy and maybe just on that fringe category of between starter and rotational guy Mm -hmm. and and before we go i mean what is how do you define a bust like what is your criteria is it different for each like we talked about first through five six through ten etc 
Like, how do you define it? Is it a guy that didn't earn a second contract with the same team? Is it a guy that didn't earn a second contract in the NBA based on, again, the, the timing where he was drafted? What's your? Do you have an umbrella definition of, of what you consider a bust? I, I agree with what we were talking about earlier, right? It's about where the guy was drafted and the expectations based on where he was drafted. So, you know, a guy like Ben Simmons is drafted one overall and you're you're expecting him to be kind of this general generational type player and he didn't get there. So and if he, he and he's gonna continue down this route that he's on right now, he's a bust, right? Because he's not that generational type guy. Jerry and Grant, you know, he, he goes, you know, pick nineteen there. You're, you're expecting him to kind of be a starter. You're expecting him to give you something more uh, where he can kind of run, you know, be just a good enough player, but he didn't quite get there. So, again, he's not on the top 10, but he's somewhat of a bust because he's not really a starter. But, again, that's like less of a less of a bust to me than someone like, you know, Markel Fultz, who was one, one overall. So I, I agree with you, kind of that definition of where you're drafted and how did you perform versus those uh, versus that draft. Uh, position you were there right and so if mm-hmm. you if you're a guy going in you know the top five there and you're not you know an all-nba type player and not, not even making an all-nba team even once then you mm-hmm. might be somewhat of a bust but if you maybe were like a all-star type guy so maybe we don't consider you a bust because you did you did you did make it but just not at that tier you made it in the next tier kind of idea right mm-hmm. so i would say that's kind of how i would look at it a bust it's a guy who was in like you're you're in the first tier and really you perform like five tiers below your tier <laughs> okay <laughs> that's that's probably a bust right or, or like three, three yeah. tiers below right if you if you're one or two tiers below maybe we don't call you a bust but uh it, it just it's some of it's situational some of it's like you got to just look at the career and see how the guy did but yeah i think yeah we, there you go had, so we, it's you it's, had a good definition of what, what it's a bust it's is. expectation based and then it's kind of it's one of those things where you just know it when you see it absolutely and i think Obviously, there's guys that you can have the discussion around, and I think that that's where you get into some of the gray areas. So that's why we have guys that are honorable mention or guys like Lonzo or it's just injuries or whatever it might be. So I think if we redo this list in a couple years and he's not doing anything or he's out of the league, then he's definitely in that category uh, as the same as Markel Fultz and those guys. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate you guys checking us out. Uh, Make sure to uh, follow us on all the major social media platforms. You can find us at Facebook at the 4040 Vision Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 4040 Vision Pod. And, of course, you can find us anywhere podcasts are found. So uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe. So you get notifications every time we drop an episode. We plan to drop an episode every week, so every Monday morning from here until forever. So uh, make sure you keep checking this out. Thank you for rocking with us. Thank you, Salman. Appreciate your time today, man. Later, man. Thanks, everybody. Peace out.